Father, we do ask that you would speak by the power of your spirit, your word into our lives and make us more like Jesus, every one of us in this room and online. And Lord, and you would just speed up the process of what you're trying to do in your church and in the world that we might behold your face. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we spent the last uh, three weeks talking about the fact that Jesus modeled for us something called multiplying discipleship. In other words, he was making disciples who would make disciples who would make disciples and so forth. We start off talking about why he did it that way, and then we talked about how he did it. Well, today we're going to move from the why and the how of discipleship to the what of discipleship. What is the end goal of discipleship? What is the end product that we are trying to achieve? What is the profile of a fully trained disciple? What is it that a properly trained disciple should believe? What is it that a properly trained disciple should know how to do? And what is it a properly trained disciple should be? So what are the beliefs and the practices and the virtues of a trained disciple. Now, when you came in, you should have received this booklet entitled A Profile of a Disciple of Jesus. If you didn't get one of these, raise your hand. They're coming right down the aisles. I want you to have this in your hand as I go over a few things. This is going to be a tool that is going to be greatly helpful uh, for you in ministry, I believe, for the rest of your life. It's entitled A Profile of a Disciple of Jesus Christ. This is also a booklet. You'll be able to use the resources in this booklet as you go through the process of being involved in discipleship yourself. Remember, we said we want everybody to have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy in their life. A Paul, a more mature believer who is pouring into us. A Barnabas, someone kind of at the same stage in our spiritual journey who is a friend, a companion, an encourager, a supporter and a Timothy, someone younger in the faith that we get to pour into. So we want that to be part of the DNA of Grace Community Church, that we all think in those terms, that who's my Paul, who's my Barnabas, and who is my Timothy. And as you're meeting together to build into each other's life and form Christ, then this is a great tool to use, this profile of a disciple of Jesus. And I want to look briefly at this with you this morning. It breaks down into 10 beliefs, 10 practices, and 10 virtues of what a fully trained disciple ought to possess. And then at the end of the booklet are resources that you can use in each of those categories to help infuse that in the person that you are building into. So let me just talk about these for a second. Let's talk about the 10 beliefs of a trained disciple. The first belief is that a trained disciple should think Christian, should have a Christian worldview, an important element of becoming a mature and equipped follower of Jesus Christ is learning to see the world through a biblical worldview, kind of like looking through a pair of glasses, you would have a Christian worldview in which you would view the world. Because how you view the world is so important 
Because how you view the world will greatly determine how you live out your life. So the first belief a trained disciple should have is a Christian worldview. A second belief is a, a trained disciple should have is a correct belief about our triune personal God. You know, some time ago, I was listening to the, the UN Secretary General introduce the Pope, who's about to address uh, the United Nations. And as he introduced him, he said this in his introduction. He said, you know, we don't have a chapel here at the UN. We have a meditation room. And in our meditation room, we have only one object. We have a stone in the middle of the room. And by the stone is a plaque. And then he read what the plaque says in their meditation room at the UN building. And here's what it says. The stone in the middle of the room has much to tell us. We may see it as an altar, empty not because there is no God, not because it is an altar to an unknown God, but because it is dedicated to the God who man worships in many names and in many forms. Now, see, according to Jesus, though, that completely misses the mark of true worship. See, according to Jesus, it matters in your worship that you're worshiping the one true God. It matters that you know the one that you worship. It is a meaningless exercise to not know the one true God in our worship. It'd be a waste of time. See, according to Jesus, worship must, have, must rest on a true perspective and a true sentiment. Now, it should be vital from the heart. Here's what Jesus says about true worship. John 4, 23 Jesus says, an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So these two words, spirit and truth, correspond to the how and the whom of worship. True worship must have right thinking, and right feeling. So our worship must be grounded in the truth, or it's not true worship, and it must have strong affection, Jesus says. So it really matters that we believe rightly about God, that we have the right belief about him. He's just not whatever you want him to be. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you three questions about God. Just answer in your own mind. How big is your God? How good is your God? And how much does your God love you? See, the answers to those questions will greatly determine how each one of us will live our lives. How big you see God will greatly impact how much you trust him. How good you see God will greatly impact how much you obey him. And how much you believe God loves you will greatly impact how much you live your life in peace, in joy, in humility, and the ability to love others. So it really matters that we have a right belief about the truth about God. Okay, the next belief, a 
a trained disciple should have is a right belief about Jesus Christ or Christology. Of the four Gospels, my favorite Gospel has always been the Gospel of John. In John, Jesus makes several I am statements, and these are important statements because when he says these I am statements, he's making a reference to himself being the great I am. Remember, Moses wanted to know God's name at the burning bush. God said, my name is I am that I am. That he is the ever-present solution to every need. He is the great I am. The name in Hebrew is Yahweh. But Jesus uses that in reference to himself in the Gospel of John. He says, I am of himself. He is the great I am, come in the flesh. He says, I am the bread of life. I am ever-present to sustain you. I am the light of the world. I am ever-present to illuminate you. I am the light of the world. I am ever-present. Ever uh, I'm sorry, ever-present? I am the door. I am ever present to admit you. I am the good shepherd. I am ever present to care for you. I am the life. I'm ever present to give you the abundant life. I am the way. I'm ever present to guide you. I am the vine. I'm ever present to make you productive, effective. So it's, it's really important that we have a correct belief about who Jesus is. And a trained disciple knows who he is. All right, a fourth belief that a trained disciple has is a clear understanding and belief about the Holy Spirit or pneumatology. A trained disciple believes that the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Blessed Trinity. That he comes and fills us, empowers us, enables us to live godly lives and powerful lives in the name of Jesus. A trained disciple also believes the truth about the creation and the fall. A, true, I mean, a trained disciple believes that God created everything in the beginning and that mankind was created without sin. Mankind was created good in the beginning. But by an act of his will, sin entered into creation and the curse with it, and mankind fell. There was a great fall. And because of the great fall, this sin now that was introduced into existence through the free choice of Adam and Eve, this sin is now imputed, is passed on to all who are born, and they now are born with the sin nature. This is important that we believe the truth about this. Man is not basically good. Mankind is born with a sin inclination, a nature to sin, a leaning a propensity to sin. Here's what it says in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And so, a trained disciple understands the condition of mankind. Mankind is inclined to sin. They have a sin nature. And it starts at the very beginning. They have that nature when they're born. And by the way, anybody who thinks that people are just generally, generally just good cannot have been a parent. 
In fact, many of you have heard of the property laws of a toddler. Let me give you six property laws of a toddler. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If you're playing with something and set it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. So mankind is sinful and in need of a Savior. This is important that we have a right understanding of this. All right, the sixth belief a trained disciple has is about our salvation or soteriology. The truth is this, God is holy and no sinful man can come into his presence and into his heaven unless there's some kind of outside help and that outside help has been provided through Jesus Christ. He is the one who, who, who puts that bridge across that chasm between a holy God and a sinful man. Jesus bridges the gap. Here's what he says in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So here's the truth about our salvation. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to do what? To come and bear our sins on the cross, absorb the judgment that was due us. He absorbed it for us. Why? So he would not perish but have everlasting life if we repent and believe in him. A trained disciple understands that. All right, the seventh belief, a trained disciple understands his identity in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, all things have become, have come new. And so when we turn to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, you become a new creature. You have a new identity. A trained disciple understands that. He understands his new identity. He's not what he once was. He now is something new. And knowing that makes all the difference in the world. Now, the devil doesn't want us to know our new identity. So he somehow must try to keep this truth away from us. And then what does he do? Well, Jesus called him the father of lies. What does he use to keep truth away from us? Lies. That's how he keeps so many Christians in bondage and captivity is somewhere they believe, they're believing a lie. Because Jesus says this in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So if we know the truth, a trained disciple knows the truth. If we believe the truth, then we can walk freedom from bondages and addictions and oppression. It's really interesting how the Apostle Paul writes the book of Ephesians, one of my favorite epistles. It's got six chapters. If you read it, the first three chapters feel one way, and the next three chapters feel quite a different way. What Paul does in chapters 4 through 6 is he goes after Christian behavior and spiritual warfare. But what does he do in chapters 1, 2, and 3? Well, basically, all he does in chapters 1, 2, and 3 in the book of Ephesians is say over and over to these Ephesian believers, basically, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember your identity. You are now in Christ. You see, he really doesn't tell them to do anything for three chapters. All he tells them over and over is remember who you are. 
Why? Because how you think greatly impacts how you live. And he wants them to have the right understanding of who they are. In fact, I'll summarize it for you. There's 10 things that he says in those first three chapters of Ephesians about our new identity in Christ. I'm going to read them to you real quick. We are, I'll just say you, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are adopted, you are included, you are a saint, you have purpose, you have power and authority, you have promise, you have security, and you have a great future. Know who you are. Never forget that. Because knowing who you are will greatly impact what you do. A trained disciple knows their identity in Christ. The eighth belief involves the authority of the Bible. A trained disciple knows that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. A trained disciple knows that it is crucial to have a regular intake of the word of God if they are going to be strong and they're going to be able to grow. And here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Listen to this. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. There is no spiritual growth apart from the word of God. And a trained disciple knows that and lives accordingly. All right, number nine. Ninth belief, the church. A trained disciple understands that he or she is part of a community of believers, an assembly, a body, a family, a church. And just like any member of our human body has to be connected and interdependently function for us to, for my body to function right, so does the church. Each one has to be connected and interdependently functioning for the church to function right. And a trained disciple understands that and knows their place in that and functions in that place. All right, tenth belief, belief that a trained disciple has is a right understanding about eschatology or end times, the study of future events. A trained disciple understands the days in which they're living. They understand based on what they see in the news and what they read in the Bible, where we are in history. And based on that, they understand what's, what's probably coming next. Not only that, they know what they should do to prepare for what's coming next. A trained disciple understands the days in which they are living, but also understands what's coming. And one of the things that's coming that a trained disciple is gripped by is the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 says this, For we must all, <clears throat> talking about believers, <clears throat> we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So a trained disciple knows that day is coming where they're going to stand before Christ one day and they want to do well on that day. They want to be, receive commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. They want to re receive rewards. They want to be trusted with, with more assignment, great assignment in the kingdom to come. So a trained disciple lives every day in light of that day, the day of the judgment seat of Christ. People have asked me <clears throat> different times, how have you, what, what's kept you in a ministry for so many years? And I'll say, 
Well, number one is my relationship with the Lord. Number two is the judgment seat of Christ. I know that day is real, and at that day I want to do well. And so that keeps me on track and motivates me. So those are ten beliefs. Ten beliefs a trained disciple should have. So how are you doing in those beliefs? Are you solid in those? Do you have any room to grow in any of those? But there's also ten practices every disciple should develop in their lives. If we're going to have a real relationship with God that grows and develops, and we really are going to make a difference in the world in which we're living, and we really are going to store treasures up in heaven, there are certain practices that we need to have in our lives. Number one practice, worship. Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, And you will seek me and find me, when? When you search for me with all your heart, all your affection, all your attention, all your devotion, all your allegiance. That's when you find me. See, learning to worship with all of our hearts is key for us connecting with God. On a regular basis, we've got to be worshipers. We need to learn how to be worshipers. Second practice, prayer. Ephesians 2.6 says that we are raised up with him, raised up with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's interesting, he doesn't say that we're going to be seated with Christ. He says right now as believers in Christ, we're seated with him. What's he seated on? He's seated on a throne. What do you do from a throne? You rule. Right now, we are getting to rule with Christ through our prayer life. And here's the truth a trained disciple understands. They understand that they are history makers in their prayer life. They are forging out history through their prayers. And they take their responsibility very seriously. Third practice. A trained disciple has is the, the, the practice of Bible study. They, have, they understand the, how important it is to be a self-feeder. Someone who actually knows how to feed their spirit man. So many Christians starve their spirit man. They don't feed him. And he's shriveled up in there. And when they need him, he's too weak to help. We got to feed our spirit man, and we feed him with the word of God. And a trained disciple knows this. He also knows how to discern between what's being taught, whether it's correct or not, because they themselves have learned to study the Bible. They've learned how to do that. Important practice. Study the Bible and be a doer of it. So their goal is not, I want to study the Bible so I can be a smarter sinner. Their goal is, I want to study the Bible so I can be a holier saint. Fourth practice a trained disciple has regards biblical community. They know how to be connected and be better together. They know how to be in relationships that are supportive and accountable. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. See, a trained disciple understands I've got to have some people in my life that support me and hold me accountable, and we walk together. The fifth practice a trained disciple has is the practice of single-mindedness. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, listen to this, making the most of your time. Why? 
because the days are evil. See, a trained disciple understands that there is a tendency, it's almost magnetic-like pull for our time to be wasted if we don't, aren't deliberate about making sure we spend it right. Not only is there a pull to waste it, there's a pull to misspend it and do something we shouldn't even be doing. So a trained disciple redeems the time, grabs a hold of the time, deliberate about their schedule, making sure they have kingdom priorities in their schedule. Sixth practice, spiritual gifts. A trained disciple knows that they have at least one spiritual gift. They know what it is. They know how to use it. They've been developing it, and they've been using it in the body of Christ. They see what gift has been given to them as a stewardship that they must steward, that they must manage, because they will have to give an account for that. Seventh practice is stewardship. It's interesting. Jesus tells two parables in the Gospels about stewardship. Remember, steward is a manager. In both these parables, he makes the same three points. What are the three points about stewardship that he makes? Here they are. First point is this. God has entrusted talents to you, and he expects you to invest them for his profit. Second point about stewardship The Lord will return one day and judge you on how you did with what he gave you. Third point on stewardship, how we live now has everything to do with what God will assign to us in the kingdom to come. A trained disciple understands stewardship and he lives his life or her life accordingly. Also, a trained disciple understands as a steward that they are to manage their time, money, possessions, and even energy for the glory of God. Let me say a word about managing our money. A trained disciple understands that all the money that we have actually belongs to God, and we simply are managers. The question is, are we going to manage whatever we have for his, invest it for his glory, or are we going to spend it on ourselves? A trained disciple lives with kingdom priorities. Eighth practice, evangelism. A trained disciple knows how to share the gospel. They know how to share their personal testimony, simply, clearly. They know how to lead someone to Christ. They know how to answer typical questions that come up in conversation because they've been trained to do it. Spirit-filled life. A trained disciple knows how to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. They know how to walk in freedom not in any bondage or addiction. They know how to put on the full armor of God, and they know how to cast out demons. And so those are 10 practices a trained disciple should have. So how are you doing in those 10 practices? Is, do you have any room for growth in any of those? All right, 10 Christian virtues. The 10 Christian virtues, I just read them, and I'm just comment on a few of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, humility, and hope. Now, let me just say, these are what a, a trained disciple should be. These should be a characteristic, a virtue of our lives. All right, let me say something about love. A, true, a trained disciple knows the power of love. A trained disciple knows that love never fails knows that even if they sacrifice greatly, even if they are able to do miracles, but they do any of that without love, it profits them nothing. So they're careful to walk in love. 
But also a trained disciple knows that, that, knows that love gives. And great love gives great gifts. And of course, God is the model for us. The greatest lover of all is given the greatest gift of all. For God so loved that he gave his son. So a trained disciple understands the power of love. He understands that true love always shows itself in giving. I mean, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And a true disciple understands that. And he also understands that the gifts that we give reflect the love that we have. Small love gives small gifts. Great love gives great gifts. And God, of course, models the greatest love of all, giving the greatest gift of all. So a trained disciple understands the power of love. But also a trained disciple understands the power of humility. God gives grace to the humble. God's grace is his empowering presence, enabling me to do what he called me to do. And God gives his grace, his empowering presence, enabling you to do what he called you to do to the humble. And a trained disciple understands the importance of walking in humility if he's going to walk in power. Let me say one word about humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. See, a trained disciple realizes he's wasting his time to think about himself at all. Also, finally, the trained disciple understands the power of knowing how to walk in peace. 1 Peter 3.15, listen to this. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Right now, we're living in a world that is full of fear and panic and hate. And a trained disciple in the midst of that world will walk in love, humility, and peace. And, we, and if we do that, if we will be trained and we will walk in the midst of all the chaos going on right now, in our world, if we can walk in love, humility, and peace, we're going to have a lot of people asking us the question, how in the world are you doing it? And we'll be able to then just point them to Christ. We'll be ready to give a defense for those who ask about the hope they see in us. So it matters that we believe right. <clears throat> it matters that there are certain practices that we know how to do. And it matters that we are something different, different enough to make a difference with our virtue. And so I just urge you guys to, everyone need to get one of these booklets. Like I say, the, 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 uh, <clears throat> the 10 beliefs, 10 practices, and 10 virtues, you know, Really, we don't have plan on changing any of those. We worked long, long and hard on these elders for many years, but we're continuing to develop those spiritual resources that people can use. But this is something that we can use to invest into each other. But how, what we want to do uh, as we kick off our prayer series in two weeks, and I'll ramp up to it next Sunday, is we want, I'm asking everybody to start with prayer. And let's take these next seven weeks together and see it and really work for all of us to grow in our prayer life. And so we're asking everybody to be in a small group, either in person, with or without mask, or online, whatever, but get somewhere you're connected with the group and you are interacting 
on this material. The staff has worked very hard on this. I think it's going to be very helpful. But also, those of you that have already got your, your Paul and your Timothy, your Barnabas, and you know, begin to just one-on-one see how you can really challenge each other and help each other grow in your prayer life these next seven weeks, and starting here in two weeks. So, so we want everybody involved. So if you're part of Grace, whether you're online or here, we want you involved in one of our small groups. Many of you can easily host a small group. You can, many of you might want to host one in person or online, but you can't. But we want all of us to be part of one because <clears throat> we all want to grow in our prayer life. We don't want to just talk about prayer. We don't want to just preach about prayer. We want to become those who know how to pray. And so let me encourage you guys to be part of that. We're excited about what's coming up, <clears throat> some of the changes that are coming. And we just think God is, is, is slowly just getting us past some humps so we can really <clears throat> go full orbed in the things he's called us to be and to do. Let's all stand together and let's close in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we do pray that she would make us more like Jesus. Or that she would really take all of us where we are and cause us all to grow. Grow in our beliefs, grow in our practices, grow in our virtue. And we become more like you, Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that in this world that we're living in, Lord, that the church would rise up and be different. Or that we'd see a difference in believers. And we would be those that people are asking the question, how can you be like this in the midst of all that's going on? And we'll be able to point to you, Jesus. So we ask you to strengthen us to that end. We pray your blessing on the series as we ramp up to this uh, prayer series. And we pray, Lord, your blessing on everyone here and everyone's health. Lord, and we pray, I pray your blessing on everything that matters to the people here and the people online right now. I pray your blessing. And use us to be a blessing this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>